0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church.
1: For our time in God's Word this morning, would you open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 30. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verse 19 through 30. lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me.
0: If you'll permit me a a momentary digression... This isn't in the manuscript, and I apologize to our Chinese translators. I didn't send this to you because it didn't occur to me, but with all of the uh, Happy New Year's talk, by the way, Happy New Year's to you, um, it occurred to me, this verse from the story of Esther, you remember that Esther, um, as a Jew, under the instructions of her adoptive father Mordecai, hid her Jewishness from the king. Her identity as a Jew until Haman was going to wipe out all the Jews and then Mordecai says to her this, and who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I think, I'm imagining that some among us here this morning it has seemed maybe like there's a bit of a a treadmill and fifth grade seems an awful lot like fourth grade and sixth grade seems an awful lot like fifth grade. And the 11th year of marriage seems an awful lot like the 10th year. And is this going anywhere? Who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as 2023. This could be a breakthrough year for many of us here. This could be a year when it gels, when it makes sense, when it adds up. Oh, that's, that's what you were doing. That's my digression. Now back to the text and the assignment. I have three aims in this message. One is that we would set out to seek something. To seek something. Number two, my second aim, is that we would set out to become something. And the third aim is that we would be amazed. At Jesus for something. Set out to seek something. Set out to become something. Be amazed at Jesus for something. So now, who do you really, not theoretically, who do you really honor? Who do you honor? And how do you show that honor? Do you talk to them? That would be honoring. Do you talk about them? That would be honoring. Do you wear a sweatshirt with their name emblazed across the back or the front? That would be a way to honor someone. And who should we honor? Now, you're going to expect me to say Jesus. That's not what the text says. It would be most fitting, I'm asking, to honor what kinds of people? What might an exemplary Christian look like? And do we see what Paul commends here in this text as exemplary? In today's text, we learn from Paul about two exemplary role models. And you can be looking for what's so exemplary about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, personal examples in our lives, like, like in this text, Timothy and Epaphroditus, personal uh, heroes in our lives, your life, Can have powerful effect, and you've probably known someone who has influenced your Christian life. They they modeled something for you in such a way that you aspire to be like them. One of mine is Dave Teeson. For several reasons, I remember when I was a young man. I might have been a teenager at the most. I was in college. I know I wasn't married yet, and I was sitting back on the aisle, right back in here someplace. And Dave's son was sitting one row in front of me. And his son was a teenager. And Dave was sitting over here somewhere, and it was a communion service. And they started the communion service, and the pastor said something about everybody should examine himself, and, you know, make sure your accounts are short, and and that your relationships are up to date, and that you have confessed your sin, and asked for forgiveness, and all that. And Dave just quietly got up, And he walked toward the front because that was the shortest way, clear across the front. He wasn't trying to make a show. He was not trying to make a show. And he made his way all the way back to his son, where he knelt on one knee next to his son. And because I was so close, I could hear what he whispered. Please forgive me for the way I spoke to you this morning. That has stuck with me all these decades. That was a beautiful man that was a Christ-like man that was a biblical man he's one of my heroes later I was employed for him part-time when I was a college student and he had a service master franchise he had a couple of franchises and he he uh, told me about a case where you know like if a church caught fire insurance companies come in and they send an appraiser to say it's gonna cost X number of dollars to get it all cleaned up and this insurance agent said now Dave Here's the estimate. Let's turn in an amount that's this high and you and I can split the difference. Huh? Nobody will know. God will know. And Dave instantly, no, I don't do business that way. There is a God. And he'll take care of me without my having to cheat. I could tell more stories about Dave. He taught me how to clean a toilet and uh, mop a floor and other things. So I'm asking you now if you were to name someone that you've known who is an example of what you would like to be like and you could put their picture in a frame and you could put it on your desk or hang it on your wall, whose picture would you put in that frame? It's a good exercise. Over the years off and on I have rotated some pictures uh, Onto and off of the walls of my office. And I'm asking you, whose picture would you put on the wall of your bedroom? Your living room? On the mantle of your fireplace? Or whatever. As important as it is to find Christ-like friends, such as Timothy and Epaphroditus that we're going to look at here, at the end of this message, I want to mention something even more important than finding Christ-like friends like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, to refresh our memories, Paul writes this letter when he's under house arrest in Rome. He's awaiting trial, and he writes this letter to encourage the Philippians to live as united and unified citizens of heaven, to live like Christ, who left his exalted place in heaven with God so that we could become citizens of that, And I think Paul's main desire in these two paragraphs that were read to you is for the Philippians to rejoice. You can see it in verse 28 there. I am the more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice. He's interested in the rejoicing of the Philippians. And number two, that he himself might be less anxious. Also there in verse 28. And that I may be less anxious. And instead of being anxious, be cheered. You can find it in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus has sent Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Now what will accomplish this rejoicing and this cheer? He wants them to rejoice. He wants them to be cheered. Now what can bring that about? What can cause it? What can make it happen? Answer. Pursuing the interests of Christ. You can see it in verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So he's turned it upside down there. And in verse 30, Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Christ, the interests of Christ. Now what are the interests of Christ? What's Christ interested in, but I get ahead of myself? So far, in this series in Philippians, which we interrupted for several weeks to do Advent, in this series in Philippians, what have we seen? Where have we been? On November 27th here, in our first sermon in the Advent series on the theme of light in the Bible, Andy Nacelli told us that the Bible has an ark. That is, instead of just a collection of stories and biographies, it's one big story, one big narrative. From before Adam till the culmination of the ages after the dragon is thrown into the pit and on that ark then I'm asking now where's Philippians on that ark where is it positioned? well here are 14 positions along that ark 14 events it has more than 14 but I'm just gonna boil it down to 14 before creation that's way at the beginning of the ark before creation God enjoys his self-sufficient glory number two creation Three, man's fall into sin. Four, creation placed under a universal curse, including the worldwide flood. Five, the covenant with Abraham that all nations will be blessed through his offspring. Six, the Exodus, including the miracles and the wandering around in the wilderness and the giving of the law and eventually entering the promised land. Seven, the prophetic promises of the Messiah. Followed by centuries of waiting. Eight, incarnation. Merry Christmas. Child is given. Son is born. Nine, crucifixion. Ten, the resurrection. Eleven, the ascension. Sending of the Holy Spirit. Twelve, the conversion of Paul. Thirteen, the writing of the Gospels and the Epistles by Paul and others. And a millennia, a couple of millennia of growing the church and populating heaven. And 14, the coming return of Jesus and the culmination of the ages. So you can see where Philippians is in that arc of 14 events. It's way over here, number 13. And I asked Stephen Lee, he preached from Philippians for several weeks here, I said, well, could you give us a summary of where we've come so far in this series? And here's what he said. The main point is that believers... Those who are born again are to work because God is working in us. Or to put it another way, live as believers because you are truly believers in Christ. Allow your eternal behavior and attitude to reflect the fact that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And we do this, now I'm quoting Stephen again, so that we shine like the stars of the heavens for the sake of His of this crooked and twisted generation. Those of you who have been here might remember that Ben Catterson preached one message in there and I asked, okay, Ben, put it in a sentence. What was your sermon about? And here it is. We can rejoice no matter what when the advance of the gospel is our priority. So that's where we've been so far. And when Stephen says that we're to shine like stars, how do we accomplish that? Well, the three-part answer is in the pinnacle, I think, of this letter to the Philippians. It's in chapter 2, but not the text that we read this morning. It's earlier in chapter 2, starting with verse 5. Here are three aims of Paul, I think. One, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But, now be amazed at this, okay? He emptied himself. Is that not amazing? Equality with God poured it out. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, number two, here's a second thing we should do, every knee should bow. That's what Paul wants to have happen. Let this mind be in you, and every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and three, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul's aim, number one, is that we should be humble. Have this mind in yourselves. What mind? This humility where Christ empties himself. We could see it in verse 4 of chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles open there, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's what Jesus was doing when he emptied himself and came to earth. He's taking care of the interests of others. He did not count equality with God. God a thing to be grasped. Well, what instead? He emptied himself. How? By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he, and here it is, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. By his very life, by what he's doing, Jesus is illustrating verse 3 that told us In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So if you get nothing else from this message this morning, you can marvel at Jesus for his astounding humility. Emptying himself for the sake of others. Humility is so unnatural for us. We not only think we're smarter than the people who disagree with us, we think we're smarter than God. Because he disagrees with us about some stuff. We think life is all about us. We think we're the center of the story. We think we know what we need better than God knows what we need. And that bent towards self-preoccupation, it's all one big, sad, irrational lie that makes it easier for us to complain than to give thanks. Thanks. Makes it easier for us to rebel than obey. That lack of humility in us makes it easier to divide from one another than to unite with one another. Makes it easier for us to condemn than to forgive. Makes it easier for us to consume than to produce. Makes it easier for us to withhold than to give. Makes it easier for us to dishonor others than revere them makes it easier for us to criticize rather than commend so paul's aim is that we be humble and his second aim is that we be unified we can see it in the second verse of chapter two complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and of one mind unified. And his third aim is that we be fearless in the cause of the gospel. You can see it in chapter 1, if you could reach back that far, to verse 14. Having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Seven verses later he says, not at all ashamed, but that with full courage, Now as always Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. And skipping down another seven verses in verse 28 he says not frightened in anything. Now by this point in this particular sermon some of you might be thinking Pastor Sam you're not preaching from today's text. You keep reaching back verse 2 and verse 3 chapter 1 you're preaching the Texts of previous sermons. And if that's what you think, you're alert. (laughs) Meanwhile, today's text does hinge upon those previous texts. And I'm asking God now to help us see the connection. In today's text, Paul has a plan to send Timothy and Epaphroditus. The plan is not, oh... By the way, dear Philippians, I'm sending someone, and I think maybe Timothy might be available. That's not it. Rather, I'm sending Timothy, who is an illustration of the last chapter and a half. I'm sending you a living visual aid of what I've been talking about. That's why I'm sending this particular individual. I'm trying to teach you these texts By sending a living example. Verse 20, I have no one like Him. No one with the same soul, the same values. Now, what values? Well, again, we can reach back. The value of love abounding with all knowledge and discernment from chapter 1, verse 9. If we look in the next verse, verse 10, approving what is excellent. This is Timothy. He's describing Timothy... In advance. Verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Verse 27. A life worthy of the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 3. Doing nothing from selfish ambition. Do you see the humility there? Verse 4. Looking to the interests of others. Now Paul is well aware that others are going to read this. He's sending this letter to the Philippians. He knows the whole church is going to hear him say, I have no one like Timothy. And there could be some who would say, Well, wait a minute, now that doesn't sound fair. That sounds prejudicial. Does Paul have favorites? Well, everybody's not the same. We're not the same. All of you are better than I am at some things. Way better at some things. I suppose I should say, then, I too am better than you at some things. I better be careful about naming those things. We're not all carbon copies. Paul knows he's highlighting Timothy. But not just Timothy. Later on, he's going to highlight Epaphroditus. And previously, he was commending the brothers. He, he's shining light where it needs to be shined, for the thing he's trying to emphasize at the moment that he's emphasizing it. and Recognizing and welcoming our individual variations and, and differences between one another makes a contribution to our humility. It's really good for me to recognize you're better than I am at a bunch of stuff. That's healthy for me. Now, why Timothy? Why does Paul select Timothy? Well, because he's a model. He's an example Being genuinely concerned for the welfare of others, not seeking his own interests. We saw it in in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Skip down to verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. So Timothy is a model, and so is Epaphroditus. Look at chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you That you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Those two fellows are the embodiment of the qualities and characteristics Paul's been describing up to this point in his letter. They're others-oriented. They demonstrate the mind of Christ, specifically and especially humility. They humbly serve others. They're true friends. The best kind of friends are friends who with words and with priorities and deeds point you to Christ's interests. One of Christ's main interests is your everlasting pleasure in Him. Now qualities like those are why Paul mentions them and sends these two fellows Now, I would ask you to observe a contrast here in verse 20. Observe the straightforward contrast between genuinely concerned for your welfare versus seek their own interests. Again, in verse 4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We could jump out of Philippians and go to other letters that Paul wrote, like 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter. In the fifth verse there, he says, Love does not insist on its own way. In chapter 10, verse 24 of 1 Corinthians, Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Later in that chapter, Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And then in the 15th chapter of Romans How far Epaphroditus is willing to go in serving the interests of others? Answer? To death's door. He nearly died. That was in service. It wasn't just accidentally. Like, oh, there was this terrible accident that happened. No, he he put himself in peril for the sake of others. Now you can see perhaps in the title of this message that my emphasis is the interests of Jesus Christ. What are the interests of Jesus Christ versus the interests of yourself? One of Christ's interests is when our hearts find joy in one another's true and lasting joy. When you get jazzed because someone else is doing well, you're healthy. Paul is aiming for the everlasting good of the Philippians. We can see it in chapter 1, verse 8. God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He wants them to end well. That's his yearning. Second, he wants them to be fruitful in righteousness. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And a third thing we could observe is that Paul yearns for them to find the work of God in them completed. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. I believe that the Spirit of Jesus is here right now in this room working in you to complete what he's begun in you. He's using my words. He's using this music. He's using this communion table to make progress on your completion. And Paul wants that completion to happen. He yearns for that completion to happen. He's genuinely concerned. You can see the word genuinely in verse 20 of chapter 2. Genuinely concerned. And interestingly, curiously even, the word for concerned there is the same as the word for anxious. So now, are we supposed to be anxious or not be anxious? Because Paul's saying, I'm genuinely anxious. Hmm. Genuinely concerned. Not fake concerned. Romans twelve nine says, Let your love be genuine. So let me ask what's the difference between good concern and bad anxiety? I'll take a swing at it. Good concern is concern out of genuine love for the other party and not of not out of fear of loss for yourself. It would be like saying, you know, I hope I hope my grandchildren can cross the street safely because I want them to be safe. Rather than, you know, if they get hit by a bus, it's going to mess up my day. Do you get the difference? I want the same outcome. I want them to get across the street. But my motive is for their good, not my convenience. Good concern trusts in God's good sovereignty instead of unsure of God's goodness. Boy, I sure hope they get across the street because if they get hit by a bus, I just don't know how God can work that together for good. Well, He can. Good concern is concern out of underlying joy, not controlled by distress. I know we have a fresh widow in this room. This is her first New Year's as a widow. And she has just radiated confidence in God's goodwill. That God works everything for good to those who love Him, including the loss of a husband. She's not paralyzed. She's making good decisions, I think. Now, you could be concerned about your husband's health, or your children crossing the street, or a thousand other concerns for their good. Or you can be concerned about them for your own relief. Do you see the difference? If it's about you, you'll be anxious. Okay. One more thing. Verse 29. Then we'll circle for a landing here. Verse 29. Receive him. That's the only imperative in this passage. It's the only order we're given. It's the only to-do that Paul sets up for us. Receive him. Receive him. So what I want to say to us as a modern day application is look for and receive role models. Be on the lookout for them. Who could you frame? (laughs) I don't mean with the murder of your mother-in-law. I mean, (laughs) who could you hold up and say, I want to be like them as they are like Christ. Because that's what Timothy and Epaphroditus are like. Paul's not saying be like Timothy. Forget Jesus. Be like Timothy. No way. He's saying be like Timothy because I've just mapped out how Timothy is like Christ Jesus. But Jesus is gone. I'm sending Timothy to you. He'll be in your midst. He'll be among you. Have coffee with him. Now earlier I said I would mention something more important to find than finding Christ-like friends now what's more important than finding Christ-like friends many of you are going to say the Sunday School answer well finding Jesus, finding Christ and yeah okay yes that's right but that's not the inference drawn out in this text the answer the more important thing than finding Christ-like friends is finding that you are becoming a Christ-like friend Who can put you in the frame? Can your children? Can your grandchildren? Can your dorm mate? Your co-workers? It's really important. Be commendable Christians by seeking the interests of Jesus Christ. Paul says, honor such men. Put them in a frame. Now how do I know Christ's interest, that's what we're supposed to seek, Christ's interest, is your Christ-likeness? I'll give you one text, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. At the outset of this message, I stated three aims for this message, that we would set out to seek something. Seek what? Seek the interests of Christ. And secondly, I suggested that we would set out to become something. Become what? become Christ-like. Third, that we'd be amazed at Jesus for something. For what? For His humility in seeking the interests of others. So here's this sermon in one sentence. Be amazed at Christ whose unparalleled humility serves the interests of others. And become like him. Like Timothy and Epaphroditus did. Do this and you'll gain the pleasure of awe in Jesus. And you'll reap the fruit of humble service in the interests of others. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at bethlehem.church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis,
1: Minnesota 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading the passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of
0: all peoples,